Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who steal, stole, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And be kind, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, which is loud in each other's faces, voices, loud voices in each other's faces, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice would be an intent to do harm to one another. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. You love us so much. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for working in our lives that would be more loving and more like you. And we just thank you. You actually call us to forgive those who wrong us. And you help us to do that, Lord. It's such a good thing. And we, we thank you for your word of truth that would call us to a life of forgiveness and being free of offense. But we need your strength, Lord, especially when it's impossible on our own. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. So, an overview of Ephesians is really Paul describing Christians who are having this incredible life with one another, not because it's perfect, but it's because they're toning down their tongue. They're being kind to one another. They're trying to not let their anger carry on into the next day or the next week, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're not going to do a line-by-line review of that. The gist of it is, is he's ultimately encouraging them how to have relationships with one another and ultimately with God. And one of my personal favorite verses is, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And you know, this forgiveness thing, it's a daily thing. Even Jesus, when he taught the disciples how to pray when they didn't know how to pray, and he said, in the middle of it, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Ultimately, those are daily topics we pray about in the model prayer. And he says, to daily pray, forgive those who are indebted to us as we forgive our debtors. Or I like to say, forgive those who have sinned against me or wronged me as I forgive those who have sinned against me and wronged me. It's a daily exercise where God works it in our heart for the things from the past. And as we daily say, Lord, help me, man. Help me to enjoy your forgiveness and help me to give it away. When we pray that daily, it's important because every day there's going to be new offenses that we do, that others do. Unintentionally, intentionally, uh, that's the whole gamut of it. But 
forgiveness is a key part of living a life of free of offense. So we're not going to put all the scriptures on the board that I'm going to read. So I'll just refer to them and read them. So doesn't that sound great, the life Paul describes to the Ephesians of how they should be living, loving, forgiving, etc., even dealing with conflicts? Uh, there's a catch in it, though. In the middle of that, toward the top, he says, nor give place to the devil. Last week, Chris did his whole message on money and how we handle it and having a kingdom view and what's really important Money's good, it can be a benefit, but relationships are more important, etc. And in the midst of all that, he basically, toward the end of his message, said, there's a devil, and he's got your number, and he's got a unique plan to take you out. He kind of, toward the end of his message, got into the spiritual warfare we're in. And that's the truth. It says, the devil goes around as a roaring lion, seeking who he might kill, devour, and destroy. And one of the ways the devil gets people is if he can get them to be mad at God, mad at someone else, choose not to forgive, that's one of his key strategies. And there's others, but that's a key one. So in Matthew, Jesus is talking about this world that we're going to live in. And I, Paul just described how we can live in it with forgiveness and love and get along. But the context of what the world's really like when we're trying to do that is what Jesus said. He said this, Matthew 24, 9. He says, all these things are the beginning of sorrows, speaking of the end times. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by the nations for my name's sake, and then many will be offended. Many will betray one another, will hate one another, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And so, you know, that's the world we live in right now. There's hate. There's betrayal. It's specifically is very scary towards Christians in other countries. It's starting to happen here. And what's amazing is is that ultimately, in the midst of all that, everybody's offended. And it's a huge thing in our culture right now. And you know, it's okay to be angry at sin or an injustice, in a sense, to be offended by it. But how we deal with something when we're offended is where we need God's way and not our way. Ultimately, vengeance is the Lord's. He will deal with it. And that's not to say we don't call for justice or accountability, etc. But what's wild is that when we don't grow in being forgiving and choosing not to be offended all the time, or more specifically, live with a specific offense that someone did to us we're not going to let go of, our hearts will grow cold. They will. And sadly, it can even turn into hate and murder, you know, however far you want to go down that road. It's just a fact. So God's bigger than all that. So this morning, I want to uh, look at what Jesus said about offenses, what his word says about how we deal with offenses, how we 
can grow with how we offend other people and maybe doing it less, how we can grow in how we deal with the people who offend us, and just kind of take a look at this whole package of living a life free of offense. And living a life free of offense doesn't mean you won't be dealing with offenses, but it means they won't be dealing with you and penning you on the ground permanently. So here's an interesting thing I heard. This is an Instagram quote. He said, if you had $86,400, kind of extra money, in your pocket, you're one of those, you pull out a wad and it's that much money, and someone snagged $10 from you, would you be so upset over that $10 being ripped off that you just basically took the rest of the money and threw it away, like just ruined your whole experience with the money because $10 was ripped off? You wouldn't. Every analogy breaks down, so... It is what it is. There's 86,400 seconds in a day. And if for 10 seconds someone bums you out and offends you, are we going to let it rip off the whole rest of our day? Well, you may say it was halfway through the day, so it's less. Well, if we go to bed with it and don't deal with it and let the devil get the best of us, we it ruins our sleep, and we wake up in the morning, and it's definitely 86,400 seconds. That offense is still ripping us off. So God's heart is so good. He's so for us and so wants us to enjoy him and others. So Jesus said this. He said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better if a millstone was hung around his neck and he was cast into the sea than that someone would offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. So on this topic of offense, Jesus cares. He cares when someone is getting offended. He cares when someone's offending. And there's grace and forgiveness when we do the offending. He's not throwing us in the sea. The principle is we actually start to look at being offensive or offending people more in the light of how Jesus looks at it, that it matters. It hurts people, especially when it's his little ones, which technically we all are. Uh, read another quote. Major offenses, like when someone's a victim and there's serious trauma. We're not totally going to be getting into that today. Every principle we look at today in God's word applies to it. The most traumatized person isn't excused from the principles we're going to look at today. But those principles are applied with God healing, comforting, counseling over time. You know what I mean? People need help to work through getting rid of a major offense and the trauma that it entails. And so when we go through this stuff, I don't want to minimize, like, you just got to do this things in God's word, forgive and do this, that, and the other, and get over it. That's not the whole counsel of God. So that's just a little extra. But it says this. I, I read another cool quote. Major trauma 
that happens to you, make time to deal with it. Because if you don't make time to deal with major trauma, the trauma will deal with you. It'll affect you emotionally, spiritually, physically. There's physical consequences of dealing with uh, all that goes on in our mind and hearts. And so, and that's actually Jesus' heart. Come unto me, all you who are weary and broken and cast down, and I will give you rest for your soul. He came to heal the brokenhearted, set at liberty those who are bound, give them beauty for ashes. You know, when people have been burned, he's like, I can bring the beauty. And so that's the heart of Jesus. But as far as offenses, he said it's impossible that offenses would not come. They're going to come. There's criminal offense, offenses that's, that's criminal. Technically, you know what? We should all, like, be, we can't even afford our tickets if we actually got busted for every criminal offense we did just driving. Uh, other stuff, maybe when we were kids or whatever, we, got, we didn't get caught for it's God's grace. Everything isn't brought to the light, and we're like justice for everything. Thank God for his mercy. But, but ultimately, along the lines of what I just said, criminal offense is dealt with with police, with the law, with justice. And so when we look at some of the principles, keep in mind those things are, uh, are a given, that serious things are dealt with with a little more uh, detail. There's also the basic thing of offending others, where, which is what we're talking about today, offending others and how we deal with that and when they offend us. And then there's another thing that's really important that can kind of save us and thank God for his discernment and his help if we really seek him and say, help me, God. It's perceived offense. Sometimes we get ripped off of our joy and whatever it may be, uh, just our attitude goes south over a perceived offense. It wasn't even a real offense. We read it wrong. Or maybe we read it right, like that did happen, but technically they didn't do anything to us. That's their life. That's their business. That's what they were, you know, they're allowed to choose their friends. They're allowed to invite who they want to the party. And sometimes it is a slant, but a lot of times it's not. We have to give people space to live their lives and not make it all about us. So perceived offense is one is so good to grow on because you just can kind of go through the little shuffle and then you go, nope, they didn't offend me. God bless them. I didn't like it, but they didn't offend me. So going on, speaking of Jesus talking about offense, when he says offenses will come, he actually said this, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. He knew people were going to be offended because of him. This little section we're going to look at right now, it's so important to know because how we deal with offense is all in light of understanding what Jesus says about offense, how he was offended, what he went through to deal with offense. That whole perspective chills us out to deal with people when they offend us. But basically he said this, uh, it, there was a situation where his disciples came to him and said, then the disciples came and said to him, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Jesus spoke truth. And he spoke the truth in love like we're supposed to. But people were offended by his saying. 
his sayings. We were offended by his truth. He knew what it was like to like do the right thing, say the right thing, and then where's the backup and support? You know, you're, and sometimes it's hard when you live the truth, tell the truth, say the truth. You will experience offense. Uh, as far as, that was kind of indirect, but personal offense. Some of us have dealt with personal offense from people in our families, friends, neighbors, whatever, people closer to us. The classic story is Jesus was betrayed by Judas, one of his own disciples. All his disciples, when the going got tough, scattered in a sense. Peter specifically denied Jesus three times. And with his close circle of those who betrayed him and denied him, actually, a lot of that happened in the last couple of his days where he knew they were going to do it, and he didn't desert them. He was there with Judas having the Last Supper. He was with Peter actually having the conversation. When, you know, you got someone who's, they got you. I'll never deny you. I got your back. I love you. I'm for you. I'll always be faithful to you. And Jesus is like, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, Jesus. So the heart of Jesus is actually to love those people who would fail him. And that's his heart of what we would do with the people around us. And going on as far as that whole picture, even Paul the Apostle, after Jesus went to the cross, died, paid for our sins, you have Christians going out trying to reach the world. And Paul said this, he said, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? The offense of the cross has ceased. And what Paul was basically saying Everybody wants me to preach some other way to God. Be religious. Be, be a Jew and do all the things entailed with being Jew, Jewish and keeping the law, and you'll be good. And he's going, that's not true. That's not going to get you right with God. I preach that Jesus had to die for yours and my sin. And when people hear that they have sin and someone had to die for it, and there's nothing they can do about it, it can be offensive. That's the offense of the cross. And ultimately, the offense of the cross, when someone's offended, they're basically saying, he didn't need to die for me. I mean, that's cool. He's willing to like lay down his life for people, but he didn't need to die for me. And I'm offended that you would say he did for me personally. And if, so, but going on with that perspective, it says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That's the cross. We have redemption and forgiveness because when it says through his blood, it's, uh, man, someone gave their life for me. They were willing to have their blood shed. They literally laid down their life for me, and it was Jesus. And then classic verse for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's faith in Jesus who died on the cross. And it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man could, should boast. That message, which sounds so good, can be offense to people. They're like, wait. 
my good deeds and my works aren't, you know, going to do what's necessary to be forgiven. You know, I'm, I'm good. I'm religious. I, 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 I. And so for one person, it's the good news. They realize, man, I've tried. My good deeds do not outweigh my bad. My religion, man, I, you know, it's not doing it. And people come to a place where they actually realize, thank you, Jesus, and they received his gift of forgiveness, and they're focused on the cross. And for all of us as Christians, that perspective, which is a repeat for all of us, is supposed to literally be a repeat every day. We're on our knees, in our heart. I'm just symbolically saying, we are actually have this perspective. I'm not it. I'm so thankful where I'm doing good, but all have sinned. That includes me. Apart from your forgiveness for the things I've done wrong, I, I would not be anywhere, and I definitely wouldn't be going to heaven. There's this humility where we know we need his forgiveness. We receive it. That perspective, that foundation, and how we keep that fresh radically affects how we deal with people day to day. Because the days we lose sight of that, it, we're just a little more high and mighty and proud, and, you know, it happens to all of us. So that's the Jesus perspective on all that. Interestingly, with all this talk about forgiveness, Jesus actually modeled it. When he went to the cross, he's on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When Jesus was living his life before he went to the cross, he was talking about forgiveness, even in teaching the model prayer. When they said, teach us how to pray, he said, uh, ask for forgiveness and forgive every day. And other situations, he, forgiveness was a theme all through every situation and message. Some healings, he goes, what's easier to say? Rise up and take your mat and walk or to say your sins are forgiven you. So the disciples are all following this. Excuse me for drinking so much water, but I need it. And Peter caught on, like, this is good, this forgiveness thing. I get it. You, you're into forgiveness. We need to be better at forgiving. And some think when Peter has this conversation, he's actually kind of being proud about how he gets it and how much he gets it. It says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I forget Forgive my brother when he sins against me and forgive him up to seven times. And when Jesus was saying up to seven times, he was actually like saying he got it, which is good. Give him some credit there. But he didn't really get it because I think they were saying in the culture that day, like three times was the big one. That person's really forgiving. Three times a day. Seven times he was going way above the cultural norm. And Jesus actually says to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So the bar that Jesus sets for forgiveness, that's not something you compute and go that many, whatever it is, 400 or something. It's endless. It's an endless, endless open door where we are supposed to forgive. And let me clarify. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Although most of the stuff we're going to talk about, it does. People we're supposed to reconcile with for a violent offender. Forgiveness does not mean you don't hold them to justice if it's a serious situation. And I'm not going to belabor that point over and over again, but it, it's important. 
Uh, but if we don't forgive even the most serious offenses that cause serious damage and trauma and just basically can rob someone's life, uh, I mean, literally, like, of the joy and the peace and living, uh, God's bigger than that. And if those people choose to say this is an unforgivable offense, I will not forgive, it closes the door to all the healing God wants to bring in. God's gracious. He'll still put their arm around them and work them. It's not like, until you forgive, I won't walk you through this. He walks us through this, and that person, he's walking them through, getting them to where they say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to forgive. I forgive. Those are just words right now. You're going to have to make it real. And you hear story after story of people who are in those shoes and do it, and they're going, the gang member killed my son. I visited him in jail, led him to the Lord, and they accepted the Lord. They're getting out of jail, and I'm the uh, father they never had. I know those are exceptions, but it, it, and that doesn't need to be the case in every situation. But forgiveness is endless with Jesus. He's saying, you, I know it's going to be hard, but you've got to forgive. So interestingly, Jesus goes on in that story to belabor the point about forgiveness, and he says this. He says there was a, there was a servant, and he owed his master, the king. Uh, ultimately, some say it was about $12 million I saw one commentary that said 12 million to a billion in today's money. He owed so much money, he went for the king and he was going to be thrown in jail and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he begged and he actually said, have patience with me, I'll pay you back. And ultimately, most people say, that was one of those where he was still full of it. Have patience. He couldn't pay it back. He should have been saying, forgive me, I'll never be able to pay it back. It was one of those. And the king actually ended up forgiving him and then he went out and he had someone in his life who owed him and you always hear like it's a lot less it actually was a significant amount it was 100 days wages but 100 days wages if someone owes you that much is still can be dealt with and paid back but he had no mercy on him had him thrown in prison which doesn't make sense because he's not getting his money and basically the forgiven servant was totally unforgiving to an extreme measure. And the story goes on to say that some of the other people saw it and went to the king and said, you know what this guy just did that you forgave? Well, he just did this. And it said the king actually got a hold of him and said, you know what? Now you're going to jail. What I forgave you, it's, it's, you're going to pay up. And so... It's a controversial statement, but it goes on. It says, and so will my heavenly father do to you if you do not forgive your brother who sins against you. You have to read that line in the whole context of scripture. We're in that case all the time. He forgives us because we say, sorry, and he forgives us. But the point is this. Jesus definitely took this forgiveness thing very, very seriously, like full-on seriously, so much that he actually went to the cross and died. Uh, I heard, here's one quote on, this, on that story. Others could see the evil of his conduct. He could not, the servant who didn't forgive. Sometimes we are painfully and to our embarrassment blind to our own sin, sinful fleshly conduct. Isn't that true sometimes? We just don't see, you know. We're just and maybe it's on another level. We're just like 
got shown grace, and then we're like really harsh with someone. You know, uh, those things that happen. So we don't want to be unforgiving. One of my favorite verses dealing with offense, uh, by the way, through my whole life as a Christian, I really like this topic of forgiveness. I learned it early on as a Christian. And my dad bailed me, and then I learned, you know, forgive your dad. Then he comes back into my life, which is a miracle, what happened there, finding him, hire a private investigator, forgiving him. And then, you know, someone's back in your life, well, are they going to be perfect? Now you're going to forgive them for the new things? A couple other things happened before he passed away, where it's like, really? You hurt that person? More forgiveness. But this foundation of forgiving, I'm like, okay. Forgive, forgive, uh, and uh, many situations which you all have, uh, God has helped me navigate life, uh, friendships, betrayals, ministry situations where it's like, just forgive. And it's all in light of, as I've been forgiven. But I, you know what I mean? I have received much forgiveness. So, but I never really tagged onto it this word offense. It's kind of been a big thing in my Christian talk, like, I need to not be offended. I need to live a life free of offense. And so it's kind of a new thing, and it's really healthy for me because, you know, you can be really forgiving, but you get easily offended, and you're offended all the time. And the danger of that is where it turns into unforgiveness. So a favorite verse is this. It says... In Proverbs 18.9, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. And I was really like, okay, Billy, don't be hard to win back. Don't be hard to, I'm offended, don't be hard to win back. It just says this is a fact. A brother offended is harder to win than a fortified city. That includes women. So it's not saying we should do it. It's saying it's something that goes on. And for us as Christians with Jesus, we are fully in this thing where everything we've even been talking about, he's saying we are not supposed to be hard to win back in a relationship. Uh, New Living Translation says this, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a locked gate with bars. So when we're offended, we don't want the walls to go up and the gate to close. That's not what we do. What we do if we need to get away from the situation is we go to our prayer closet and and we say, Lord, I'm not putting up walls, but they're up, so bring them down. I'm not shutting the door, so I pray you'd help me to keep it open. And then we pray for timing. You show me when it's okay to talk or go forward. That's not a wall. That's timing. That's not a closed gate. That's timing. Time to heal, time to get perspective from God, time for maybe them. So another interesting thing about not dealing with offense right, and when we don't forgive and we hold on to offense, is bitterness. And so it says this, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. We can all get there. The hurt, the offense, the anger, the unforgiveness can lead to bitterness and literally poison us. And then basically, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and our mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Well, it's in the heart. And God 
is way bigger than all that mess we get into sometimes. Another great verse says, in Hebrews, looking carefully, lest any one of you fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this, many become defiled. Bitterness, unforgiveness gets roots. Roots grow. They go deep. The more we nurse the hurt, the deeper the roots go. God has a different plan. The results, fruit of unforgiveness, is a hard heart, a bitter heart, a poisoned heart, and it's uh, such a bummer, can rip off a whole season of our life. So ultimately, there's some practical ways we deal with unforgiveness. And if we're offended, and what we do if someone, we've offended them. In Matthew 5.24, if you've offended or I have offended someone or wronged them, it says this. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave the gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. First leave the gift at the altar. Go and be reconciled. Then come offer your gift. And that would be the classic one like right now. Like, okay, who needs to leave the church right now? Who needs to go and deal with it and then come back and give your worship and your praise to God? That's, that's kind of how it plays out. Uh, and it's a principle that's actually worth looking at even in preparing our hearts and coming to church. Lord, gosh, I, you know, it's awesome to worship you, get my mind renewed, get my heart filled up, be encouraged by your word and worship and fellowship, and uh, stink. I know I need to call someone this Saturday because tomorrow's Sunday. And First verse we looked at, don't let the sun go down in your anger. It's kind of a daily thing. But the principle is there. God cares that we deal with issues where we remember and know we've wronged someone. And the principles are simple. Stop what you're doing. Get up. Go to them. The goal, be reconciled. And then, interestingly, when it says come back and give your gift at the altar, then go on with your life. You gotta, we got to go on. If someone has sinned against us, Matthew 18, 5 says this. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he refuses to, take two or three or more witnesses. So if someone sinned against us, this is the Matthew 18 principle, go to them alone. That doesn't mean you couldn't talk to someone or get counsel if it's the right person where it's not going to turn into, you know, a big gossip thing. Uh, I just had a friend say to me, who we've been talking about this offense thing, reading some of the same books, just a couple days ago, my, someone close to me, uh, we were talking about this, and they said this about my family. And he, he's like, do you think that was right? So he should go to her right? But he's talking to me. But it was one of those situations where I'm not involved. It was sometimes the way to go someone is we do need counsel. So I'm trying to say legalistically, it, you should go to the person first, 
but not legalistically where you can't maybe get some counsel or some advice or whatever. The majority of things, you guys, we go to our prayer class, get it right with God, and we can save half our conversations. And then sometimes when they go south when we do that, we go, maybe I should have talked to some first and got prayer so they could pray me up and, you know. So that's the whole thing we go through in our relationship with God. But it says this, moreover, your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. God wants us to deal with when we've been sinned against and when others sin against us. Uh, This is kind of cool for going forward. So we've worked it out with people. People have sinned against us. We've sinned against them. We're kind of on a roll, getting things going forward. But when we go forward now with all this understanding, something we should be changing in is our attitude toward offending people because we've been offended and we know what it's like to hurt or be tripped up or stumbled. Something we should be changing in is our attitude um, of just about offending people or them offending us. So this is a quick one. We're just going to read for it read it, and it speaks it to itself. For Christians, it says this. Paul, speaking of uh, Christians who were getting tripped up by what the other Christians were doing. Mainly it had to do with eating and drinking, but it applies to everything. Paul said, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, but it is evil for a man when he eats with offense. And what he was saying was, well, let me go on. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which our brother stumbles or is offended or made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. So basically, what Paul is talking about is something as simple as us eating meat in front of a vegetarian, us using our liberty to have a glass of wine or beer in front of an alcoholic. He's saying, it matters. We should care how something that we can do, that we're free to do, affects others. And the point is, care. What is definitely wrong is a I don't care attitude. That, it's just not scriptural. And when you read this all in context, a lot of this stuff, Paul actually says the person who doesn't have the freedom to um, eat or have a glass of wine, he actually says they can be the weaker Christian because they're tripped up. You know, they don't, they don't understand someone's not getting drunk and it's okay to eat animals. He, he puts it on them, but what he says is for the stronger believer who may know where he has freedoms or she may have freedoms, we still need to care how our behavior affects others. So I kind of wrote this. Let us care about offending people. You know, let us grow in it. And then Paul says this. This being so, I myself, speaking for himself, always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. You know, it's, it's like... You know, I want to have a, a con- clear conscience when I go to bed at night that I haven't offended God and I'm not offending others. And get, re- get ready. If you're not offending God, you're going to offend others with the way we live and don't do and don't do and what we say. But it should be in check with glorifying God. So chew on that one. Uh, 
kind of a more practical thing with going forward and dealing with offenses. We're kind of out of the whole deep forgiveness thing, kind of the practical stuff. It says this in Proverbs. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. The discretion of a man or woman makes him slow to anger, and key thing, it's his glory. Like, it's a cool thing when someone overlooks someone else's offenses. Here's a commentary. The virtue which is in, in dictated here is more than a forgiving temper. It includes the ability to shrudge off insults and the absence of brooding hypersensitivity. So overlooking offenses, we have the ability to not be hypersensitive and not take everyone to task. And you know, some people God are going to be who God made them to be. They're going to be more sensitive. Some people are going to be, you know, tougher, thick-skinned. There's room to be who God's called you to be, but that's just your calling. What a blessing that you are more sensitive because more times than not, I offend someone because I'm insensitive. But your strength of being sensitive can be your weakness when you're hypersensitive. And sometimes we just have to realize that. That's, that's what goes with this. I know the good part of it, and I know the bad part of it. So I, I wrote this. We need to be oiled up and filled up. This is a repeat. Psalm 23. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Every day, Lord, anoint me with your love. I need you to fill me with your love. Fill me with your strength. Fill me with your encouragement. Fill me your healing. Oil me up so that when things happen today, I can be like a duck who has oil in its feathers and water rolls off its back. And when insults come my way and offenses, I want it to roll off my back instead of me being so sensitive. Uh, I was in a couple situations recently in the last year where I, re- I actually said this. I said, you know what? I'm a guy. And I think that whole last half hour scenario, man, I was like a drama mama. I, you know, I'm <laughs> what's up with that? You know, like overreacting, oversensitive. Uh, it says this, a wise man or woman knows what they have been forgiven of much. That's the foundation we started with. And this shapes how they deal with others. They don't act as if they must hold everyone accountable for every transgression, but know when to overlook it. That's the idea of overlooking offenses. Here's a few more. He who covers the transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. He who covers a transition seeks love. Part of loving people is actually covering a tra- their transgressions. And we're not talking about a cover-up where they're not being held accountable, they're not being held responsible, that type of thing. Basic, uh, and it says, that, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Not a cover-up. The person is more of an issue than the issue. That's the idea of covering up. You care more about the person. You can kind of get past what they just did to get to them. And as far as repeating a matter separating friends, it says repeating the matter 
is when we actually gossip, slander, and I like this one, when we harp on the matter. That might be to the person. Or, you know, just harping, repeating the matter. That separates friends. Uh, love does, First Corinthians classic love, it does not dishonor others. It does not seek, is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. That's the, keeps no record of wrong. God wants us to not keep a record of a wrong. And a record of a wrong is when it's affecting, it's affecting, all right, we're coming to a close. That was my timer. Uh, that gives me a little time to close. Uh, it's, it's when we, we got the record because we're going to get them or we're holding it against them, it, you know. Paul said this in Romans 14, 19. And this is really the direction we want to go with all this. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things with which we may edify one another. You know, let us pursue the things which make for peace. And uh, that's going to cost us sometimes. Jesus said we pick up our cross and follow him. We die to ourselves. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. We seek to save our life when we got to be right. We handle the whole thing the wrong way. We're, it's all about us saving our life, and then we lose the relationship, lose the friendship. You know, there's so much to that verse besides salvation. But as we close, uh, Jesus said this, to take it up a notch again. You know what's cool if we look at God's word and we go, wow, he just took it up a notch? Like, I mean, like, make, he's, this is hard. There's, uh, this is hard, what he's asking me to do. We're never intended to do it on our own. It's supposed to bring us to a place where we go, I need you. Fill me with your love and your Holy Spirit because I can't do this without you. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Now unto him who works mightily in us. It says this, you have heard it was said you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do the same. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Loving our enemies and loving those who act like our enemies. That's what God wants us to do. Bless and do not curse. Pray for them. One of the key ways to deal with the offenses in our heart is we need to literally say, Lord, I pray blessings on them. I pray for them. It, what we say and what we pray, God works in our heart. And people always say forgiveness and all this is for us mainly, but what's radical is that's true. So we're free, but it's amazing when we, God actually gives us the heart for the person later, which he will do. Um, I've been at someone's house who's a Christian, and they have a verse on their wall. It says this, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. 
when I'm preparing a message, I read offense into everything. I'm like, well, if I'm offended, that's going to rip me off of my strength. That's going to steal my song. It's not going to steal my salvation, but it'll steal the joy of my salvation. And I won't be praising him. I'll be grumbling and mumbling and cursing, whatever. And so the Lord wants us to have his strength, have a new song in our heart, enjoy our salvation, have the joy of our salvation. And if we live life, we are not going to hide out and run from these offensive situations. We are going to be with a God who will walk us through it, situation after situation it comes up, and he will be doing a new work that doesn't even make sense because, you know, we could just literally go south and get bitter and hard-hearted. Classic story is there was a demon-possessed guy. This is the last story we're closing on. He was demon-possessed, out of control. Jesus met him, cast out the demon, and then he was sitting clothed in his right mind. It's a classic story. He was sitting and clothed in his right mind. And then he came to Jesus and wanted to just like be with Jesus. And it says, Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things the Lord has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. If we hold on to offense, if we hold on to unforgiveness, we won't be proclaiming the great things the Lord has done for us. We won't be going out to our house, our city, and saying what great things Jesus has done in our lives. It's a ripoff. And so, God help us. Let's pray.